despair, anger, and relentlessness were in her voice. I'm not leaving here until I get treated. Those were the words uttered by my friend Jeanette upon hearing from her oncologist that her chemo was not working and they were not sure it made sense to try anything else. I was not with Jeanette that day, but the way I tried to show up at times was to have me join her through a call as she visited with her medical team. Jeanette asked me to be her health proxy a while back, given her status as a single new worker living alone in the city. She was the profile of a new worker, independent, fierce, tenacious, and stubborn. Her will to live was incredible. It was painful at times to witness and inspire all at once. She lived alone in a wonderfully rent-stabilized apartment in Brooklyn, and due to several circumstances, she made a family with her friends in the spirit of the entomological chosen family. I met Jeanette in graduate social work school around 15 years ago. I remember the stoic, light-skinned Puerto Rican woman with the do not mess with me look. I know that look well. I grew up around it. I carry it around sometimes to survive in a city that otherwise could eat you up alive. You kind of have to show it. However, outside of facades like do not mess with me, I knew we were children. Jeanette and I got to know each other and shared our common Puerto Rican heritage and stories of what our skin tones meant for us, along with ancestral stories that both sustain and haunt us. For her, a light-skinned woman, sometimes white-passing, her skin tone privilege shifted when some of her Ricanness would jump out, or an accent or two would intentionally slip to reclaim space and identity. Little did I know that Jeanette had gone to grad school after beating cancer the first time. She had been a social worker for a number of years dealing with individuals struggling with addiction, and even though she felt she was too old in her 40s, Jeanette knew she had to get her master's in social work. And she did. And we became friends. And then we slightly drifted her cancer returned the second time, and she opted for radical surgery. It was healthy, as she later described the ordeal. The independent, stubborn New York weekend woman became dependent on others to survive. After that second cancer scare, we became, we, we reconnected more closely. Discovering and deciding our friendship would be more than a New York sparse acquaintance. We even devised a few traditions, like going to the annual folk Puerto Rican Festival of the Cross in May, and every Christmas day, we would find a spot to have dinner, usually enjoying our company rather than the food. And then the pandemic hit. 
While some escaped to their country home, we knew our best chances for emotional stability would mean we should check in on each other every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Savoring the little joys in quarantine life like TV run reruns and experimenting with recipes and counting the clothes we needed to discard post the pandemic because we would not fit in them. The roller coaster of COVID broke down our walls and we deepened our friendship. We shared secrets, hopes, dreams, fears, tears, laughter, and painful job situations. Our conversations evolved from English to Spanish, Spanglish, and New York colorful dialects. We would get quickly lost in two to three hour conversations. And then she learned for a third time, cancer had reared its head. This time stage four. However, Jeanette could not admit that this could be the end. Her rational mind, into all things science, knew it was. However, her relentless spirit and her New York stubborn persona could not go there. And when she heard her new oncologist, she fired the first one, who admittedly had burned out during the pandemic. When she heard him say, treatment is not working, she heard something else might. It's not over until it's over. I'm thinking about Jeanette because she would have turned 62 this past week on August 14th. However, Jeanette died last December Christmas weekend in a way that I, st I still find very upsetting to think about. Alone at home, not wanting to draw attention to herself. But she was a warrior up to the very end, probably upset that life had come to an end for her but not because she was willing to resign herself to the Grim Reaper. I'm sure of that. That day when she threatened not to leave the oncologist's office, she got him to give her something. I'm not even sure it was treatment. But her I am not leaving was a powerful force, a will to be reckoned with. I'm thinking of her because the unnamed woman in the gospel story reminded me of Jeanette. While unnamed, the woman's role as a mom brings to light what it means to grapple with despair, even when it is not your literal self that requires attention. We hear in the story that she is not asking for herself, but the original Greek text depicts her pursuit as the embodiment of what it means to yearn for help viscerally. It was almost a maddening plea for help. In a place of despair, it sometimes does not matter how loud it sounds, how wild it may appear, or how irrational it may come across. What matters is that what seems outrageous can change the course of the trajectory of despair, then it's okay to let loose even for a moment. This despair is common to the human experience. If you've experienced physical pain, aching, heartbreak, 
Witness the addiction or mental illness of a loved one or the identity crisis of someone you care about. You know what it's like to feel despair in the marrow of your bones, especially if you cannot figure out how to help. It's not a chill or a shiver that soon passes. It's so deep inside you, you can taste it and it feels so fierce that those around you, if you let them come close, they may be shaken up by it. Jesus often faced the stories of shaken up people. Shaken up by disease, death, and decay, but despair was the underlying pain. Those people that came near to Jesus, I think, in some ways, was a response to Rihanna's song, Could Love Be Found in a Hopeless Place? However, usually in gospel stories, we glimpse Jesus as a healer, lifter-upper. Today in the Matthean text, Jesus does not shine as the hero from the get-go. The Jesus of this gospel text is hard to digest. From silent to rigid and then to plain out rude, there's something about Jesus that usually does not sit with me well when I read this text. It may be tempting for preachers to sanitize Jesus, but I'm not going to do that. We have this complex Jesus in the text. The one we usually encounter as loving, reconciling, and trying to make things okay, sits in silence at first. And while we may love a good contemplative, or be freaked out by one, silence is golden until we want guidance. Some direction that opines in a way that matters wisely and intently. In my work as a therapist and pastor, I find silence a necessary skill. And I'm often skeptical if too many words fill the air, including my own. Among our relational challenges, Jeanette wrestled with me over my silence at the end. That I was listening too much. That I was not supposed to be her therapist. That she could not make if what she was going through had any effect on me because I listened too intently and at times offered minimal words. When she spit out the words, I have months to live, I was aghast with what I heard and in some ways in pure shock. Jeanette asked me, well, does this even do anything for you? Mind you, I knew my friend well. Everyone she talked to about her journey said things that infuriated her. And she hated when friends cried or offered platitudes. The subtext being, don't you get this way with me too. She often sensed that I could hold challenging things and, com and commented on that capacity. Honestly, I hold what is unbearable to me before the mystery I know as God. It has saved my life when I've had to hold in my personal life tough things about myself, my loved ones, strangers, and the world at large. It is not my claim to being mystical. Honestly, it is my trusting about, above 
the plane of reality and in some ways surrendering to the most profound love that brought us all into existence. Sometimes that holding comes with wrestling, the pain too deep for words or with words, or simply sometimes just a sense of being. God, can you hold this with me just for this moment? God, can you have this just for a bit? My silence was not my resistance, or I can take anything she throws at me with Jeanette. In all frankness, it was my anticipatory grief, my despair that I could do nothing to make my friend's end disappear in this way. My silence was also my fear that I would say something foolish. I could only say, I'm devastated, but I want you to know what you need from me now is the point. You may not know what that is, but I'm here. My silence is not my dismissal. It is me trying to be with you, not with mere words. Nevertheless, Jesus kept quiet. How dare he not say anything at first? But part of me is trying to understand his reluctance. The words of Martin Luther King echo in this silence. In the end, we will remember not our enemy's words, but our friend's silence. Silence is healing in some cases, but in many others, they can add insult to injury. The silence of so-called allies in the pursuit of justice. The silence of the privileged when the marginalized and oppressed continue among the crucified peoples of today. The silence of those who have power to influence change but decide with their comfort rather than their conscience. What does your silence tell you about how you deal with challenging situations? What does your silence tell others about what you may think about them? Can I encourage you this day to invite the mystery of God into your silence? Do not be there alone with your thoughts. There is a loving and courageous one in whom the silence can take some other form than despair. Could the silent Jesus symbolize the so-called Christians who hear, see, and bear witness to the horrors of injustice committed against their siblings of a different hue and just offer thoughts and prayers instead of something more tangible? Silent institutions like churches and silent believers like Christians are the most dangerous reinforcers of injustice in America and the world. In the face of global trouble, societal pain, capitalistic tyranny, poverty, racism, xenophobia, sexism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia. Silence is not okay, even with the guise of piety and political correctness. Or is it the fearful talking people that are the more dangerous? The disciples in the story decide that this is too much to handle. Hearing the screaming woman ask for help was probably overwhelming to them. 
Send her away, they said. In them we may see ourselves. We like our liturgy's pristine, contained emotion, with feelings we can easily wipe away with our sleeves if any should surface. However, that can only be part of the fullness of the human experience. I'm not exalting emotionality over its contrast, but apathy may hold a different side of danger than exuberance. The disciples could not perhaps deal with the, their incompetence at grappling with what they thought was a strange-sounding situation, where they felt helpless, knowing that this issue was above their pay grade. Nevertheless, asking Jesus to remove her was not the way. Furthermore, messing with a despairing person, telling them to get lost, will get you nowhere. Some of us do not like the silent Jesus, and we are not quite fond of the talking disciples, and we are definitely not fond of the screeching mother. But still we like the quiet. Things got resolved, aka disappeared without much noise type of, of outcome. Jesus finally speaks, and his speech sounds rigid. Too much of a strategist to be a savior. However, we may need a glimpse of this to see the transformation that can happen in all dimensions of existence, even in the realm of the divine. Furthermore, while I want to avoid saving the Savior from his fupa, I do want to honor that his narrow moment counts, not deterring the determination of faith in the space of despair. I want to note that even when Jesus said what he did was not from the right approach, his narrowness did not deter a woman in despair who loved her kid. And she was willing to take an insult and throw back some sass even at God. If you have some sass in you today, and I think we all have a little sass in us, I invite you to, instead of throwing it to your neighbor, bring it to God. God can take it. And you may be more profound and fuller because of your willingness to engage all of who you are with all that God may represent to you. Jesus was keeping it real from his agenda-driven, this is not on the schedule today and I cannot fit you in sort of thing. And she, the, um, the anonymous woman with a kid in deep shambles, was not taking a no for an answer. There had to be more to love than an agenda. There had to be more to her kid's story than this torment that had wrecked havoc on the family's narrative. The story of pain and despair will never be an end to itself. And she knew it. And she would have no other way. A Toni Morrison quote I keep in my office captures this woman's mantra, don't let anybody, anybody convince you this is the way the world is and therefore must be. It must be the way it ought to be. The anonymous woman in the story is every person's story who's been down the road of despair, whether with life or with death, wherever you are this day. 
Know that you can contend even with the divine. Don't give up or give in into hopelessness. There is a love that claims you even if the best intentions forsake you. Furthermore, in that love, we can find the courage to contend with life, death, and everything in between. And for all who in life's journey find themselves this day almost lost, silenced, thrown to the side, know that something more significant than despair can hold you. The mystery of God is not far from any one of us, believer or doubter alike. I trust my friend knows that mystery beyond my understanding. And I pray you will too this morning. Amen.